happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. It's our special day. You know, that's, I'm sure you've been treated like royalty. And pretty soon you get to go out for lunch wherever you want to go and you get to pay for it all just like every other Sunday. <laughs> happy Father's Day. To your guests, we're glad you're here. I'm the pastor. I'm David. You're watching online. We're glad you're here also. Man, this place is starting to fill up. It really is. We were kidding last week. We got to add some chairs. We're going to have to add more chairs back. It's great you're coming back. Those of you online, when you're ready to come back, we'd love to have you any of our services. It's just great that you're here uh, celebrating the Lord today, worshiping the Lord today. I'm looking around at all these smiling faces. And I was talking to the pastor the other day, and he said, do you require everybody to come to wear a mask? And I'm like, we're Baptists. Are you kidding me? Only thing I semi-require them to do is give money, and I can't really get half of them to do that. So, no, I don't require them to do any of those things. We're just glad you're here. And we're in a series uh, from now through July uh, on John 13 called The Night Before. And the night before, Jesus was crucified. And some exciting things and crazy things and some important things happened the night before. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us. Uh, about the, the story of Jesus and the night before from the perspective of the Passover meal and the Last Supper and then the instituting of the, what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. John, who wrote his uh, gospel 25 or so years, give or take, years later, uh, he wrote from this perspective of what happened. He was there, and he talked about the events, and then he focuses on, in chapter 14, 15, and 16, the teaching of Jesus. But in chapter 13, there's some, some exciting things that kind of happen and, and movements that are going on that he really shares with us. We saw uh, two weeks ago, we began the series, we began the series actually with verse 34 and 35, when Jesus said, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. This is how people will know you're my disciples, when you love one another. And so we asked the question, what does love look like? And that question really kind of just dominates the whole series, because that's really what we're asking throughout the series. What does love look like? Then last week we began with the first four verses, and, you know, Jesus, uh, having loved uh, his own, he loved them to the end. And we stress the fact that to fully experience the love of Jesus, you've got to be one of his own. It's his own who experienced that love. And so today we're going to come to a story uh, that's really misunderstood. Uh, it's one that's, it's, from a cultural standpoint, it's kind of confusing. Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. But in doing so, we get to ask the question, what does love look like? And we can say, well, it kind of looks like this. And so what we have then in this message is the example from John chapter 13, verses 5 through 11. And here's what it says. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash the feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. So here's the thing that I want to do today, kind of to answer the question, what does love look like from a practical standpoint, you need to help with that, here's the answer, love looks a lot like serving, yeah. love looks an awful lot like serving, so begin our message, message today, and I want to share with you that every picture tells a story, some of you from my generation may remember Rod Stewart had an album that came out, so that every picture tells a story, got the song in there, that's the album that had the song Maggie Mae, 
great hit. Every picture tells a story. We we're, used, we're used even to the phrase, the picture is worth a thousand words. Pictures matter. They, they, they give us a visual. When I tell the story or read the account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, I get a picture in my mind. And that picture is influenced by all the different artwork that I've seen depicting Jesus washing the disciples' feet. In fact, there's dozens and dozens of those pictures I've seen. Uh, you know, coming out of the Renaissance, and that was a big thing. All the religious paintings, you get a lot of that. But the thing about it is in all those paintings, all those beautiful works of art, they can never fully capture this picture. They can never really tell the story. Sometimes they get the factual information wrong. But mainly it's because they can't ever capture this moment. There was emotion here. There was trauma here that simply cannot be captured on canvas. The cross is like 12 hours away, give or take. 12, 15 hours away. He's going to the cross, and these guys don't even get that yet. Not only do they not get it, but they're all pumped up because this is the Passover. Passover to them was like Christmas. Except they weren't in debt for the next six months when it was over. It's the difference. And so, they, and, and here was Jesus, and they all believed he was the Messiah, or were hoping he was. I mean, even Judas, they were all hoping, you're the Messiah. And to the Jews, even though Jesus had tried to explain this to his disciples, they didn't quite get it. They shared the view of the Jews that the Messiah was going to come, and from the temple, he was going to claim his kingdom, destroy the Romans, and establish forever this Jewish dynasty. And guess what? If you were one of the disciples of the king, of the Messiah, you were in good with the kingdom. And Luke tells us that on this night, they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. And Jesus has got to be saying, kid me. They don't get this. Not only that, but one of them, Judas, has already put in motion betraying Jesus. And Jesus wants to win him back. And so he's looking at the rebel and the, all these arrogant guys. And Jesus says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. i got to show them something, so I'm going to wash their feet. Now, you got, this is hard for us to grasp this. That culture was different. First of all, they walked everywhere. They didn't have, you know, any transportation. If you were really wealthy and you had a, you know, you had a, I was going to say a car or a bus, but that would be, if you're really wealthy and had a car or a bus, you know, you're in another world. Uh, if you had a horse, you had a mule, maybe. But they walked. And, and their roads, you know, how our roads are paved that look so nice with the potholes and everything, they didn't have that. <laughs> it was all dirt. And they weren't, they weren't walking around in, you know, in, in shoes and, and, and boots and all that. They were sandals so that people would get dirty. So they come into the house. And women back then were the same today. It was just like my mama. Don't be tracking a bunch of mud and dirt into the house. And so they would wash the feet of the people who came in. And that was considered the lowest job of all. They had a lot of social status back then, like we don't have it now. But they had, that was the lowest job of all. And so here's the thing. If you were a guy like, like me, I'm in my early, early, mid, late, late 50s. Okay. <laughs> back then, it was the head of my house. Back then, guys like me were the head of the house. And, you know, and if, and if, you, if you had stuff, you had servants. And so when you came in, you know, your servants would be the first ones to come, come wash your feet. I mean, they, they would do that. If you didn't have any servants around, then your kids would do it. And guys, get this. If you didn't have any kids around, your wife would do it. 
way back then. They did stuff like that. And if you were like a teacher or someone, you know, older and important, and you had followers, they would do it. I mean, it'd be like me with all the staff, man, starting with the lowest of the interns, working up to ever. But I would never, ever, ever have to wash somebody's feet. So here they are with Jesus. He isn't just a master. He's the Messiah. And not a single one of those guys would have had a problem washing the feet of Jesus. The problem was if they washed his, then they have to wash everybody else's. And they were too busy trying to see who was going to be the head honcho in the kingdom. They didn't want to do that. Peter, no way. Peter's the leader of the group. Thomas would do that. Doubt it. <laughs> That's funny. I'm sorry. That was pretty good. <laughs> That's spur of the moment. <laughs> spur of the moment. Like last service, I just told up this one also. So, you know, you know James the Less, if there's a James the Less, that means there's a James the More. Get the guy, the less guy ain't doing it. I don't want to be any less than I am now. So, what happens? Love is a picture. And what does love look like? It looks like Jesus deciding to get on his knees and he took his outer garments off and he wrapped that garment around him and he took a basin. In a pitcher of water, and he began washing their feet. And those guys must have felt like, oh man, this was like a social taboo. Jesus isn't supposed to be washing our feet. And he gets to Peter, and so Peter just says, Lord, you're gonna wash my feet. Because, Lord, that's not acceptable. That's, that's not how it works. He's implying, I should be washing your feet. Lord, you're the master, you're the Messiah. Don't be washing our feet. I mean, I'm not gonna do it, but you don't need to do it. And Jesus says, Peter, you don't understand this now, but there'll come a time you'll get it. Now, that time he will get it will be after the cross. That's important to understand. To understand the story of the washing of the disciples' feet, you have to be on this side of the cross. So he doesn't understand that yet. I, I remember when I was a young guy, I mean, way, you know, a couple years back, when I was younger, young pastor. And the older guys, the older ministers, you know, you would have this great idea. You want staff, you want to do this. And the older guys say, yeah, you know, you'll understand. We can't do that. One day you'll understand. Well, I hated that. I want to understand. I'm right now. And then you get in your 30s and 40s. And all of a sudden you begin to understand. And then one day in your early, early, mid, mid, late 50s. And you're the guy saying, one day you will understand. Experience teaches us how to view life. Experience gives us a big picture perspective. These guys didn't get it yet. Jesus is saying, hang on. You'll understand. Then we come to verse 8. And verse 8 is the key to this entire passage. Peter says this. No, Lord. You will never wash my feet. In the Greek language that John wrote it in from, they spoke in Aramaic, Hebrew. He wrote it in Greek. It's a double negative. Ume, no not. I know in English, a double negative is not supposed to be any good. In Greek, it's great. For where I come from, we would translate it something like this. Ain't no way you washing my feet, Lord. Ain't no way. Where I come from, ain't no way is an acceptable meaning of saying this will never happen. Sometimes people will say over my dead body, which is sometimes in our mind a possibility. <laughs> Let's just assume Peter is close to where I came from. 
Lord, ain't no way you're ever going to wash my feet. You are the master. This can't happen. Now, you know, obviously Peter doesn't get what's going on. He doesn't understand what it means for Jesus to be the master. Earlier on in uh, Mark, the 10th chapter, which is before this, the apostles are, once again, arguing about who's the greatest. Seems to be a theme among them. And finally, Jesus says, I want you to understand this. The Son of Man, that is me, did not come to be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom. There's a connection, Jesus is saying, between why I came, which is to serve, and giving my life, the cross. Service and the cross are connected. Later on, 30 years later, while in prison in Rome, Paul, writing to the church of Philippi, said this, Have this mind, have this attitude in you that is in Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, in the form of God, did not consider being God something to cling to. But he emptied himself. He let go of it. And he took on the very nature, the very form of a servant. Jesus, God in the flesh, came to be a servant. And these guys didn't get it. Peter says, you're never going to wash my feet. Ain't no way. Then what Jesus says next is the key that unlocks all of this. He says, unless I wash you, Unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. No part. You can't be one of my own unless I wash you. Which means we need to understand what he means by wash. The word wash, and there's another word used in verse 10 for bathe. This is a different word. means to purify. It speaks of a Pouring for the purpose of purifying. There's a connection to the word baptism in the Greek, baptizo, and this word are connected. And so it has the idea of purity. Now we need to understand he's no longer speaking simply of washing their feet. Washing their feet had a practical, it had a normative purpose to cleanse their feet from the dirt. But now Jesus is stretching it up a notch and he's saying there's, there's a bigger issue, it's the washing. It's, it's what it means to be washed. They were celebrating the Passover. And the Passover commemorated when they fled Egypt and they would slaughter the lamb and take the blood. And the blood would put on the, the doorpost up there and it would protect the firstborn. You'd be under the blood. In time, as they began the sacrificial system, the blood of the animals was for the purpose of cleansing of sin. It symbolically represented that. Hebrews says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. When Jesus is talking about washing, he's not talking about just getting clean on the outside. He's talking about that need to purify, that cleansing of sin. See, we're sinners. We've we always got to remember that. At the heart of everything, we're sinners. That sin has to be cleansed out. How does that happen? It happens at the cross. See, the foot washing is looking forward to the cross. You've got to get that. You've got to understand that. And here is the connection. Between washing their feet and the washing that comes as a result of the cross, Jesus says, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet, but if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. This has nothing to do with baptism. There are denominations, there are churches, there are pastors who will preach, well, this is about baptism. I'm sorry, that's just flat wrong. They are wrong. If someone says this is connected to baptism, they are wrong. Baptism does not wash away our sins. 
we're Baptists, and we don't believe that. <laughs> Baptism doesn't wash away your sins. And that's not what this is saying. What washes away the sin? We, there's an old hymn. We don't, we don't sing in this service. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that happens at the cross. At the cross. So if you're not washed, Peter, you have no part of me. Now, Peter has a part of him, but he's saying that if you're not washed. So the washing becomes important. And so the foot washing pictures the cross, the servant, being a servant. And Peter says, well, Lord, if you're going to wash my feet, why don't you wash my hands and head as well? He doesn't get it yet. And, you know, there, and there's real no other significance to this except that it sets up verse 10. And so verse 10 Jesus says, if you have been washed or bathed, that's what it means, then you are clean, you just need your feet cleaned. But not all of you, all of you, I mean, you are clean, but not all of you. Now, back then in that day, when they had a feast, one of the things they would do, like for Passover, is they would, you know, they would get all bathed out and put their best stuff on. There was a time, you may not realize this, but there was a time when people didn't bathe every day, and, and a lot of times they would talk about taking your bath on Saturday night. People theoretically bathe every day now, hopefully. Unless you've got, you know, sixth grade boys, then you know that's probably another issue altogether. But they would bathe, and then, you, you know, the idea of bathing, and then Sunday morning you put on your Sunday go to meeting clothes. Well, that's kind of, you're bathed. And, and she's saying, you've been bathed. All I need to do is just get the dirt off your feet. That's all, you just get off your feet. His real point is simply saying this, Peter, you've been washed. You're clean. There's nothing else needed. Foot washing isn't needed to spiritually keep you clean. It's not needed. You guys are clean, except one of you is not, that one being Judas. It's interesting, and I think, really, it's really fascinating to me how much of John 13 is connected to Judas and Jesus trying to get him back. It's not that, like I said last week, it's not that he's worried that if I get Judas back, I'm not going to go to the cross. He's going to the cross. I mean, I hear people say, well, you know, Judas couldn't repent because he would have betrayed Jesus. Well, he already betrayed him. He's going to repent from that. Trust me, they were going to get to Jesus. They, 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 they had the sights on. Judas, come back. You see, here, here was this group of guys who had everything wrong. Eleven of them were just so full of pride. <laughs> pride. That first sin back in the Garden of Eden, they want to be like God, the master of my life. These guys just wanted to be in charge. It was just... They wanted to be in control. And then there was this one who just wanted to be a, who was a rebel, rebelling against God, literally against Jesus. So what does love look like? It looks like washing the feet of these sinful men, these sinful men. So how did D Jesus deal with the arrogant and the rebellion? He washed the feet of the arrogant and rebellious. Right before he went to the cross. That's the picture. That's the picture that tells the story. What does it mean to be a servant? For Jesus to be our servant, it meant going to the cross. Only one of these men ever saw Jesus at the cross that we know of, and that was John. The rest didn't. Judas would hang himself. The other ten never saw. So for them to picture the cross meant they had to picture Jesus washing their feet of a servant. 
telling the story. Every picture tells a story. So what story does our picture tell? We live in a very strange time. Truth be known, it's not any different than what most of the world has lived in throughout history. It seems different to us now. It, it's, I thought about this the other day. It's almost as if the Mad Hatter opened up Pandora's box. Now, a lot of you aren't going to get that metaphor because you didn't do very good in English literature. Mad Hatter, English lit, Lewis Carroll, the story of Alice in Wonderland, Alice in the Looking Glass, Pandora's box, Greek mythology. Okay? The Hatter in the story was the man who lived with the absurd. He told the riddles that had no answer. It was absurdity. It was chaos. Pandora's box was the box that held the evil and all the disaster. We live at a time where it seems like absurdity is meeting evil. It's dictating our lives. That's nothing new. It's always been that way. It's been that way since Cain killed his brother Abel. How absurd and evil is it to kill your brother? It's been that way since Adam decided he could be God. Satan told him, you would be like God. And Adam thought, I could be like God. How absurd is it to think that? How evil. And we live in this world, and we got this story, the story of Christ. And we, we need to tell it. But we can't do it if our lives are full of arrogance and rebellion. How, how are we going to have any credibility? And we live in this time, and, and, and I see people, and I see the church, and I see pastors, and I see the whole of nations. They're just, they're not getting it. They're forgetting what matters. Forgetting about the cross. Understand, you will never tell a compelling story until you view yourself as a servant of others. You will never do that. You, you will never be able to enter into a person's life and connect with them to help them come to Christ unless you're willing to be a servant to them. Now, that's, that doesn't mean you give in and you agree with everything they do. That doesn't... Connecting does not mean that you accept. You don't, you, don't, you don't embrace everything about the culture. You encounter the culture. You don't accept everything. You don't accept the sin and the bad ideas. You don't do that. But you've got to connect to that. Listen, this is so important. And, and, and some of you are a little bit younger. This is important. And you may not understand this now, but one day you will. I'm going to pull that card on you. That's cheap, Pastor. You shouldn't do that. Well, yeah. Well, I can't. So here's what it says. Don't get sucked into a false story painted by society and culture. The world, get this, the world is not divided by pandemics and protests, by race and ethnicity, or even by justice and injustice. The world is divided by sin. Period. Now, all that stuff can be sin. I get it. But that is not what divides us from God. It is our sinfulness that divides us from God. And I know we live in crazy times. And so often, though, we, we, we just don't get how to deal with it. I was reading something the other day uh, from a person who was talking about Jesus. And I read part of it, and then I just got so frustrated. I said, eh. But they were talking about you know how Jesus just walked among the people, and he solved this problem, and he solved that problem, and he brought love here, and this got better and that better. I'm like, you, you, you crazy? Let me tell you something about Jesus. 
every social issue we face today existed in some form in Jesus' day. His solution was the cross. You understand that, right? Every social, no matter what you talk about, his solution was the cross. Slavery was rampant in Christ's day. It's rampant. Half of Rome was slaves. The Roman Empire was full of slaves. Jesus never said a thing about Indian slavery. Never one. Paul and Peter wrote about slavery. You know what both those guys wrote? Slaves. Obey your masters. What? That doesn't preach well today, does it? No. I don't understand why. There was a guy named Onesimus. He was a slave. He escaped. His master Philemon ended up with Paul, became a Christian. Paul said, Onesimus, you need to go back to Philemon, who's also a believer, and you need to settle up with him. He wrote a letter called Philemon. And in that letter, he basically tells Philemon, now don't forget, you owe me your very life because you were saved because of me, you know, my message to you, saved because of Christ. So take it easy on Onesimus, but he's coming back to you as a brother. And, and insinuated in that is going to let him go. But here's the fact. Um, Paul didn't tell him to let him go. Poverty? Oh, man, poverty everywhere. Jesus never solved the poverty issue, never even been attempted, didn't even talk about poverty. Why? Because the single most important thing ever was the cross. It's not that those things aren't important. They are. Justice matters to God. Amos, the whole book of Amos is about justice. I preached series from that book. Amos 5.24 says, let justice roll like a river. Justice matters. James, first book in the New Testament written, most likely was James, first chapter. Here's the brother of Jesus. says, pure religion is to take care of widows and orphans. As a follower of Christ, we need to take care of widows and orphans. That's absolutely essential. Paul talks about the fact that if widows don't have anyone to take care of them, church, you take care of them. That's absolutely part of it. It's just not the solution to everything. Ministry is not the solution to the world's problems. Programs aren't the solution to the world's problems. The cross is the solution to the world's problems. For the follower of Jesus, everything ultimately comes back to the cross. Which is why you hear me say all the time, get people to Jesus as fast as you can. Why? Because Jesus solves that. From the moment Cain killed Abel, man has been morally corrupt. God dealt with it one time. He sent a flood and flushed out the world, except for Noah, who was righteous in his family. And as soon as it was over, you know what Noah and his family did? They brought that immorality and evil right back. What takes it away? Jesus takes it away. And here's the thing. Jesus took it away because he served humanity at the cross. And here we are, right here, in front of his followers. And they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And one is saying, I'm just going to get, I'm tired of Jesus. I'm going to go for train. And to all these guys, the solution to all of their problems was Jesus got on his knees and he washed their feet. And then he went to the cross. So then they all understood what that meant. For me, to be like Jesus, got to be a servant. We ask the question, what is love like? Well, what does love like now looks a lot like serving one another. So what does love look like becomes what does serving look like. 
The question, what does love look like, becomes, what does serving look like? And the answer to both is, it looks like Jesus. He went to the cross for everyone's sin. I'll tell you something. You can't argue people into heaven. Some of you are trying that. It don't work. You can't apologize enough for people to go to heaven. All you can do is get them to Jesus as fast as you can. Let Jesus do it. But the way you get him to Jesus, you've got to be a servant to people, even the ones you don't like. That's the picture of our life, serving one another just as Jesus served us. I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I got a lot of pride. And I got a lot of rebellion. I don't have any problem with that. I, got I don't have a problem with it. I got a lot of it. You know what I lack? Humility. <laughs> and I lack sometimes just being a servant. That servant's heart that I pray for every day that for some reason God never gives me. The servant's heart. Some of you as followers of Christ, you have a lot of pride. You have a lot of arrogance. And because of that, you tend to have a lot of anger. You're dealing with the world in anger right now. You are. And you need to ask God to take that anger away, take that pride away, and say, God, how can I be a servant to the world I live in? How can I be a servant to the world I live in? How can you be that servant? Some of you, you're so rebellious. And yet in your rebellion, in your desire to prove everybody wrong, you need to ask, what does love look like, God? It looks like serving. So how do I serve? How do I go from being rebellious to being a servant? For some of you, the issue is you're not a follower of Christ. That's the problem. You're not one of his own. And so what you really need to do today is put aside the rebellion and put aside that pride and give your life to Jesus. And you can do that. In just a moment, an invitation, you can come. If you're watching online, you can text, respond to a number that will be up on the screen. But you can just give your life to Christ. I don't, I don't know what you have to do. I really don't. But I know what we need to do. We need to walk out of here understanding what love looks a lot like is serving. And maybe we sh should look like that as well. So, Father, here it is you share with us. In this thing of washing people's feet, and Lord, it, it, it is just a picture for us. It's not how we live, and literally, we don't do it. We can never replicate that moment, but it is the picture of what it means to serve. And we need to serve. First of all, we need to serve you, and we do that by giving our life to Christ. And so, Lord... If no one, if there are people here who have not yet given their life to Christ, I pray that they would. And then once you become that follower, then it looks like serving one another. And Lord, help us put away our pride and our rebellion. Take up that outer garment off and just take some water and wash the feet of other people. Like Jesus would. So that we, Father, can help people come to the cross. Help them come as fast as we can. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? If you need to come forward, we have people here.